Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to Questions and Answers with myself Mishka Daris and joining me in studio as always is Sheikh Ibrahim Mouz, the Imam of the Yusufiya Masjid in Weinberg. Sheikh, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sister Mishka and to all our listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Shikran Sheikh, so much for your time as always uh, to come and do the show with us, alhamdulillah. Now uh, we are going to ask you to SMS your questions to 47913, that's 47913, and we will answer it in subsequent shows, inshallah. So the first question, uh, Sheikh, that we have is, I'm married for 29 years, my husband is having an affair with a Jehovah Witness and wants to marry her. My husband says the lady will embrace Islam when they're married, he says they're getting married. He asked me to buy the wedding rings please advise and uh, Sheikh apparently since the question was posed uh, previously the couple then got married and the first wife consented to the marriage and she still requested advice and said she will tune in um, for the show as well Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa barik wa sallim in terms of the marriage uh, with yourself and your husband that has now contracted another marriage with someone else uh, perhaps I think the concern of this lady is whether her marriage is still okay and what the status of that marriage is, etc. Of course, nothing uh, affects your marriage at all. You are still married to your husband. And uh, if he has married uh, to this Christian woman, of course, we know the issue of marrying people of the book is something that has been addressed in the Quran. Uh, and of course, the scholars have elaborated on that, uh, under what conditions and so on. So that is a matter of, of debate, of course, uh, whether in, for example, our circumstances here, uh, marrying people of the book is something advisable because it always revolves around uh, protection of rights, uh, especially of the kids and so on. Mm. So all of those things have to be taken into consideration. But uh, having said that, I don't want to go into a long discussion on that. It's quite a, a lengthy uh, topic on its own. Uh, but I think uh, just to put at ease uh, this woman who is asking the question uh, concerning her marriage, I think you, you should, inshallah, continue to, 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 to show kindness to your husband and try to, to you know, uh, live with him still as his wife, etc. And uh, after all, he's uh, showing some willingness to say that maybe she will turn Islam afterwards. And I think we should pray for that, that she becomes Muslim and so on. And that, that hopefully things can work out for all of you. Um, and since you consented to it, perhaps you are beginning to accept the fact that look, he is taking another wife, etc. Mm. Uh, however, um, I think you should obviously uh, impress upon him that you are still his wife. He still needs to give you all his, all your rights that are due to you. Uh, you know, uh, time-wise, uh, nafaka-wise, all of that. He should not neglect you at all. Uh, you should impress upon him as far as that is concerned. Because uh, if a person takes a second wife, um, let's say that second marriage is a valid one, and uh, a person takes that uh, marriage, uh, it means that he must look after both wives equally. There's uh, rules and regulations in Islam as far as that is concerned. And it is one of the, 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 the biggest errors, you know, if a person gets married and is not able to look after his wives and neglect one of his wives, etc. So I think that is what you should do. Try to impress uh, upon him very strongly that, look, I, I, will, I will not allow you not to give me my haq, etc. Because if you do not give my haq, then we can, we can take it up, you know, and, and maybe look at other avenues of how to then resolve the issue. But for now, I would say just to, to sort of remain in the marriage, obviously, as a wife, try to do your best to 
show kindness as i say and 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 try to 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 make him understand that look if this is your decision it's your decision mm. but as long as you do not uh, take shortcuts as far as my my rights are concerned as a wife also i think that is uh, what what she should do at this point in time inshallah wonderful shukran sheikh 47913 that's the number to sms for any of your questions we'll answer them in subsequent shows inshallah the next question sheikh i just wanted to know the correct procedure for a molana to discipline a girl doing a hifz as my niece came home every day with blue marks and her molana openly humiliates her he also speaks to the girls about marrying a second wife yeah i am actually uh, very much opposed to to males teaching females uh, especially in our context where there are alhamdulillah many female teachers that have obviously uh, come about and uh, that can and that are able and capable to teach our young girls and our young daughters so i am actually completely opposed to to, to males teaching females you know especially in a situation where it's younger females with an elderly person etc like that mm. um, i don't feel that there's a need for it and uh, in this case if if there is if there are males teaching females of course there must be certain adab and etiquette uh, very strict etiquette that must be adhered to and i don't think any physical contact at all is allowed it should not be allowed at all right no physical contact between even teacher and student so coming home with blue marks and stuff like that and i don't think that is at all appropriate okay mm. our f- females should not be treated like that not even by the muallims or by the hafiz teachers um and so you should object strongly against that and say you're not you're not happy about it and you will not allow it to continue and uh, also uh, the whole thing about teaching quran you know i'm always amazed at you know how people are teaching quran but they are missing the whole point you yeah. know teaching quran but forgetting the mercy that the quran teaches for example So how can you teach somebody to memorize the Quran but your method is completely contrary to what the Quran is teaching? Yes, there must be strictness in measurement, there must be discipline and all of that. But uh, must remember especially and I'm speaking here specifically when it comes to females, there is uh, extra care that should be given, you know, in terms of how you treat them and how you encourage them etc. The Quran itself says Ar-Rahman 'allama al-Quran. The Quran says it is the most compassionate Allah who has taught the Quran. Allah introduces himself as Ar-Rahman mm. before he says he teaches the Quran. So you should take lesson all teachers should take lesson of that. And uh, in terms of saying insulting and and I think humiliating a student in front of others that is also completely contrary to what the Islam what Islam teaches and what the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was. It was never one of humiliating or insult. How do you expect a student to learn Quran mm. and to be a benefit to society in later years but you keep on humiliating him or you know like I say again I I'm not against disciplining a child but there's a, a a very clear line between disciplining and humiliating for example those are two different words altogether mm. especially in front of others and making the child feel very low of himself he, herself etc and uh, again if you want to take the role model our best role model is our prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know there was no better teacher than him mm. in fact I, i i can quote this particular incident by a person muawiya ibn al-hakam as-sulami <laughs> You know something very strange happened he was making salah and he was a new muslim he didn't know some of the rules of salah and so uh somebody sneezed and when somebody sneezed he said very loudly yarhamukallah in the salah and obviously uh, the riwayah says that people looked at him and he could feel there's a bit of strangeness you know something that he did that was not right 
and eventually he got the the picture and and he, and he kept quiet you know and then afterwards he says now he's explaining what was the reaction of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam towards this incident mm-hmm. and this is the remarks that he makes he says fa abi huwa wa ummi ma ra'aytu mu'alliman qablahu wala ba'dahu ahsana ta'liman min he says i can swear by allah i've never seen somebody not before him and not after him that was a better teacher than him sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says fa wallahi ma kaharani wala darabani wala shatamani he did not beat me up he did not scold at me he did not swear at me he did not reprimand me in an ugly way all that he said was inna hadhihi as-salah la yasluhu fiha shay'un min kalam an-nas in a, in a most natural and beautiful way he said to me my dear brother you should not talk in your salah mm. that's all that he did so the reflection here is this is salah which is the most important ibadah mm. but yet the prophet sallallahu taught in such a kind manner it was mm. not somebody to humiliate or to make somebody feel out of place or to feel, make somebody feel low etc so i am totally uh, obviously opposed against uh, people that teach quran in this way especially to our females and like i said i would prefer females not to learn under males but rather under females because there's many alhamdulillah we are fortunate in cape town we have many female hafiz teachers that are capable to do the job and uh, uh, finally i want to say uh, that i mean we've i've been horrified uh, of some incidents of late that uh, that, have, uh, that i've come to hear about where there's certain things going on between teachers and students you know which is completely unacceptable mm. and completely out of line mm. especially the question that says here that the teacher is forever talking about the second wife mm. subhanallah so what is your intention when you are teaching students you know you are teaching the quran but your intention is something else by mentioning about second wives and stuff as if he's alluding to the fact that you know maybe one of the students can become his second wife so why are you teaching quran is it for that purpose mm. you know it's so maybe not mm. for the purpose of quran itself so uh, for me this is a very very uh, serious issue and i hope inshallah that whoever is teaching quran and they are listening in they can at least take heed to some of the advice that i had given and as for the questioner themselves i think you should object very strongly against what you are seeing and demand that this should not be the way that our children are being taught the quran and uh, we hope and we pray that inshallah things will will go better in the future and that our children will be able to learn not only to memorize the quran but are taught by the teachers how to actually live that quran with the mercy and the beauty and the compassion that it comes with allah give us uh, hidayah inshallah amen tamamen shukran so much uh, sheikh and uh, sheikh ibrahim was is joining us in studio the imam of the yusufia masjid in weinberg 47913 is the sms number that's 47913 or alternatively you can also email info at vocfm.co.za when we come back from the ad break my granddaughter is living with a Christian guy when she comes to visit I don't want to be in her presence please advise we're going to be answering that question so stay tuned to VOC 91.3 FM Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moaz, the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. I'm your host, Mishka Daris. Please SMS 47913. Any questions that you may have, we will definitely um, answer them in subsequent so- shows, inshallah. So, uh, Sheikh, the next question received is that my granddaughter is living with a Christian guy. When she comes to visit, I don't want to be in her presence. Please advise, what can I do? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Uh, of course, as a grandmother, seeing that your granddaughter is doing these uh, these things, it would be something that is obviously displeasing to you, especially that you know that it's not something that Allah is pleased with. Uh, so I think you are, in a sense, doing the right thing by not condoning and by showing her that, you know, I will not sort of be happy and, and just make as if nothing has happened. I think that is the correct stance that you are taking uh, by showing to her that, you know, you cannot carry on with your life like this, living with a non-Muslim guy, not being married properly. 
properly and not following uh, the teachings of Islam, which mm. is to your own detriment. So as a grandmother, you've got all the right to react in the way that you do. Uh, however, I, I would want to also perhaps uh, kindly request from you as a grandmother that uh, maybe could have an impact on this child, not to uh, completely you know, dismiss the idea of speaking to her in a way that perhaps you can convince her to change her life and to, 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 to make better decisions, etc. So on the one hand, don't condone. You are right in what you are doing. You don't want to condone. But at the same time, try to also see if there is an opportunity perhaps for you to give good advice and to give encouragement. Because hmm. after all, that is what we want. We want them to come back and to do the right thing and to repent to Allah and, and so on. And who knows, with a few kind words or with a w words of encouragement, and do it with hikmah, you know, do it in a way that you don't uh, do it in front of others, maybe insulting and stuff like that. Wait for the uh, ample moment or for the good moment that is suitable where you can speak to her in a way that will perhaps have an impact on her by giving her good advice, good advice and encouragement that hopefully she will listen to you. Hopefully she will come to realize that, look, uh, she's done some wrong in her life, but it's not uh, too late to, to make right what is wrong. It's not too late to come back and to, to sort of uh, do that which uh, will then please Allah and that which will put her life in a better state. And also put her relationship in, on a better footing mm. with her family, with her grandmother, etc., etc. So I think that is what you should be doing as well, um, you know, giving that advice and encouragement as far as, as you could, inshallah. Wonderful. Shukran so much, Sheikh. The next question received, my wife and I had a dispute. I told her to leave our home. I gave her a first talak and revoked it in person with two witnesses. She doesn't want to come home and her mother and father threatens me that I must leave the property before they shed my blood. What must I do? My wife wouldn't let me support them. Yeah, it's uh, quite a, 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 a complicated thing because wha uh, what has happened, uh, the way that the question is alluding, that he did talak his wife and he mm. did tell her to get out of the house. So obviously that uh, that was a, a bad decision at that time. Uh, if you wanted to talak her, etc., you should have first consulted with maybe a scholar or two mm. just to make sure what can you do if she maybe did something to anger you and stuff. Uh, and this is my advice always that I give, you know, don't let the word talak just come out and just use it haphazardly because it has consequences. We need to be aware of the consequences of talaq, etc. Uh, in this case, you are saying that you revoke the talaq. So if you revoke the talaq, it means then obviously you are still married to this woman. But now the problem is she's not living with you. She's mm. living with her parents and how to get her back. She doesn't want to come back, etc. Um, I think, look, if it's a reason thing, I think th things should cool down first. Uh, because the parents are also perhaps upset that you threw their daughter, her daughter out, uh, etc. So let things cool down, but at the same time, perhaps uh, think of ways and means that you can perhaps approach the situation by having somebody come to them and speak to them on your behalf. Maybe not go personally, but get somebody to speak uh, to them on your behalf, saying that, okay. look, you want to make up, you want to reconcile. Perhaps it was a mistake of yours to throw her out and stuff like that. And uh, perhaps give them the assurance that you will not do it in the in, in the in the future, um, so I, I think that you must go about a, a way that you can reconcile and bring about some kind of arbitration between yourself and her parents at the moment. And best to do it indirectly, not to go personally, since there is a bit of uh, obviously uh, very harsh feelings at the moment between mm. the two parties. So um, I would suggest that get someone perhaps that they uh, look up to, that uh, an imam that they are close to. Explain your situation to him. Let him then go to them and say to them that, look, this brother, he revoked the talaq. He wants to be back with his wife and kids. He knows that he did wrong, but he's prepared to do whatever it takes to, to make right, etc. 
So I think that that should be the best way for now. And hopefully if they go to the parents, the parents will at least maybe reconsider mm-hmm. to have a meeting with yourself and to set up. And I think you will have to give very strong assurances that, you know, what you did, you will not do it again and you overreacted perhaps. And you will give them assurances that, look, in the future, I will try better to handle the situation, etc. So I think that is what, what you should do. Uh, I just want to repeat, since you've revoked the talaq, it means you are still married to her if it was done in the idda period. So you are still husband and wife. Uh, however, just to sort out now the issue of how to actually deal with her coming back that is something that you need to figure out in, in a way uh, of using your own discretion and your own wisdom uh, by sending like i said someone that is maybe close to them as a, as a as an intermediary mm. to really bring about some kind of reconciliation between all of you inshallah wonderful shukran so much the next question that we have can my son in law break uh, sorry can my son in law be my wakil and can i break his hudu yeah he is uh, your son in law or your daughter in law is of course uh, mahram to you which means he You can never get married to them in the future. Even if, let's say, a person is married to a woman and uh, he actually divorces that woman, then that woman's mother will remain haram upon him, even after divorce, even okay. after death. So it's a permanent relationship of, of mahram, which does not uh, disappear. Okay. So in this case, yes, there is a, a, a relationship of mahram between a father-in-law and daughter-in-law, as well as mother-in-law and son-in-law. There is that uh, mahram relationship between them. As Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 23, and those wives of your sons that proceeds from your own loins, meaning your son's wives, which is your daughter-in-law, of course, and it goes the other side as well. Uh, the opposite of this is obviously also true, daughter-in-law as well as son-in-law for the mother. So so that is a relationship which Allah Ta'ala says is of those women that you cannot get married to, so that uh, son-in-law can be a wakil for you, can be a mahram for you. Your wudu will not be broken if you touch uh, skin on skin like that. Uh, there's no 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 wudu necessary in those circumstances because the relationship is one uh, as I've said mentioned in the Quran. Wonderful. Shukran so much, Sheikh. We in questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos, the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. When we come back, inshallah, we'll continue these questions. Remember, you're welcome to send it to 47913. That's 47913 and we'll answer them in subsequent shows, inshallah. We'll be back after this. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos, the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. I'm your host, Mishka Daris. Please SMS 47913. Any questions that you may have, we will definitely um, answer them in subsequent so- shows, inshallah. So, uh, Sheikh, the next question received is that my granddaughter is living with a Christian guy. When she comes to visit, I don't want to be in her presence. Please advise, what can I do? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Uh, of course, as a grandmother, seeing that your granddaughter is doing these uh, these things, it would be something that is obviously displeasing to you, especially that you know that it is not something that Allah is pleased with. Uh, so I think you are, in a sense, doing the right thing by not condoning and by showing her that, you know, I will not sort of be happy and, and just make as if nothing has happened. I think that is the correct stance that you are taking uh, by showing to her that, you know, you cannot carry on with your life like this, living with a non-Muslim guy, not being married properly, and not following uh, the teachings of Islam, which mm. is to your own detriment. So as a grandmother, you've got all the right to react in the way that you do. Uh, however, I, I would want to also perhaps uh, kindly request from you as a grandmother that uh, maybe 
could have an impact on this child, not to uh, completely, you know, dismiss the idea of speaking to her in a way that perhaps you can convince her to change her life and to, 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 to make better decisions, etc. So on the one hand, don't condone. You are right in what you are doing. You don't want to condone. But at the same time, try to also see if there is an opportunity perhaps for you to give good advice and to give encouragement. Because hmm. after all, that is what we want. We want them to come back and to do the right thing and to repent to Allah and, and so on. And who knows, with a few kind words or with a w- words of encouragement, and do it with hikmah, you know, do it in a way that you don't uh, do it in front of others, maybe insulting and stuff like that. Wait for the uh, ample moment or for the good moment that is suitable where you can speak to her in a way that will perhaps have an impact on her by giving her good advice, good advice and encouragement that hopefully she will listen to you. Hopefully she will come to realize that, look, uh, she's done some wrong in her life, but it's not uh, too late to, to make right what is wrong. It's not too late to come back and to, to sort of uh, do that which uh, will then please Allah and that which will put her life in a better state. And also put her relationship in, on a better footing mm-hmm. with her family, with her grandmother, etc., etc. So I think that is what you should be doing as well, um, you know, giving that advice and encouragement as far as, as you could, inshallah. Wonderful. Shukran so much. The next question received, my wife and I had a dispute. I told her to leave our home. I gave her a first talak and revoked it in person with two witnesses. She doesn't want to come home and her mother and father threatens me that I must leave the property before they shed my blood. What must I do? My wife wouldn't let me support them. Yeah, it's uh, quite a, 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 a complicated thing because wha- uh, what has happened, uh, the way that the question is alluding, that he did talak his wife and he mm. did tell her to get out of the house. So obviously that uh, that was a, a bad decision at that time. Uh, if you wanted to talaka, etc., you should have first consulted with maybe a scholar or two mm. just to make sure what can you do if she maybe did something to anger you and stuff. Uh, and this is my advice always that I give, you know, don't let the word talak just come out and just use it avazedly because it has consequences. We need to be aware of the consequences of talaq, etc. Uh, in this case, you are saying that you revoke the talaq. So if you revoke the talaq, it means then obviously you are still married to this woman. But now the problem is she's not living with you. She's mm. living with her parents and how to get her back. She doesn't want to come back, etc. Um, I think, look, if it's a recent thing, I think th- things should cool down first. Uh, because the parents are also perhaps upset that you threw their daughter, her daughter out, uh, etc. So let things cool down, but at the same time, perhaps uh, think of ways and means that you can perhaps approach the situation by having somebody come to them and speak to them on your behalf. Maybe not go personally, but get somebody to speak uh, to them on your behalf, saying that, look, you want to make up, you want to reconcile. Perhaps it was a mistake of yours to throw her out and stuff like that. And uh, perhaps give them the assurance that you will not do it in the in, in the in the future, um, so I, I think that you must go about a, a way that you can reconcile and bring about some kind of arbitration between yourself and her parents at the moment. And best to do it indirectly, not to go personally, since there is a bit of uh, obviously uh, very harsh feelings at the moment between mm. the two parties. So um, I would suggest that get someone perhaps that they uh, look up to, that uh, an imam that they are close to. Explain your situation to him. Let him then go to them and say to them that, look, this brother, he revoked the talaq. He wants to be back with his wife and kids. He knows that he did wrong. 
but he's prepared to do whatever it takes to to make it right, etc. So I think that that should be the best way for now. And hopefully, if they go to the parents, the parents will at least maybe reconsider to mm. have a meeting with yourself and to set up. And I think you will have to give very strong assurances that you know what you did, you will not do it again, and you overreacted perhaps. And you will give them assurances that look, in the future, I will try better to handle the situation, etc. So I think that is what what you should do. Uh, I just want to repeat: since you've revoked the talaq, it means you are still married to her. If it was done in the idda period, so you are still husband and wife. Uh, however, just to sort out now the issue of how to actually deal with her coming back that is something that you need to figure out in, in a way uh, of using your own discretion and your own wisdom uh, by sending like i said someone that is maybe close to them as a, as a as an intermediary mm. to really bring about some kind of reconciliation between all of you inshallah wonderful shukran so much the next question that we have can my son in law break uh, sorry can my son in law be my wakil and can i break his hudu yeah he is uh, your son in law or your daughter in law is of course uh, mahram to you which means he you can never get married to them in the future even if let's say a person is married to a woman and uh, he actually divorces that woman then that woman's mother will remain haram upon him even after divorce even yeah. after death so it's a permanent relationship of of mahram which does not uh, disappear yeah. so in this case yes there is a a, a relationship of mahram between a father-in-law and daughter-in-law as well as mother-in-law and son-in-law there is that uh, mahram relationship between them as allah ta'ala says in the quran in surah an-nisa chapter 4 verse 23 and those wives of your sons that proceeds from your own loins meaning your son's wives which is your daughter-in-law of course and it goes the other side as well uh, the opposite of this is obviously also true daughter-in-law as well as son-in-law for the mother so so that is a relationship which Allah Ta'ala says is of those women that you cannot get married to so that uh, son-in-law can be a wakil for you can be a mahram for you your wudu will not be broken if you touch uh, skin on skin like that uh, there's no 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 wudu necessary in those circumstances because the relationship is one uh, as I've said mentioned in the Quran Wonderful. Shukran so much, Sheikh. We in questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos, the Imam of the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg. When we come back, inshallah, we'll continue these questions. Remember, you're welcome to send it to 47913. That's 47913, and we'll answer them in subsequent shows, inshallah. We'll be back after this. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos, the Imam of the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg. Today we are continuing with our questions. You're welcome to send them to 47913 or alternatively in, uh, send it to info at vocfm.co.za and we'll answer them in the subsequent shows, inshallah. So Sheikh, here comes the next one. I love my wife so much and I had assisted her and stood by her at all times. She's staying with her family now and I nafaka her and my children, but she doesn't allow me to see my children. The Merlin has said that uh, we, we went to wanted money from me to resolve our problem, and he never had us for counseling. A second Merlana then listened to her and told us she mustn't worry, just complete the idda. Although I revoked my first talak during the idda period, another judicial body uh, wanted to assist, but she didn't want to attend. What must I do now? 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a number of things here. Um, the first uh, point here is that she is not allowing you to see your children. So that is uh, a big thing. I mean, she's not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are still the father. She's the mother. And a kid, uh, a child needs both parents in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need the impact of the father as well as the mother. Mm-hmm. So firstly, we need to give her that kind of advice to say to her that it's wrong what you are doing to deprive the children's father from seeing them. No matter what the problems is between the adults, they must never allow the children also to suffer mm. you know in the process more than what is necessary it's already traumatic for those children enough as it is for the parents to be uh, separated and not to live together that's already uh, traumatic for a child so what's still to tell the child well your father won't come here and i won't allow him to come here and that's even worse so uh, that advice should be given to this woman first and foremost to say that it's wrong what you are doing allah is not pleased with that it is something that you will be accountable for uh, on the day of judgment mm. for not allowing these kids to be at least spending some time with uh, their their father as well. In terms of uh, saying that somebody that you consulted with uh, demanded money first in order to help you, this is very sad. Uh, this should not be the case. Uh, people out there, uh, ulama, they should be at the service of people and they mm. should help people and guide people, not demanding money for it, right? Mm. Because at the end of the day, uh, it's people's lives and you are given that amana by Allah Ta'ala to give the guidance to people. Right, so I think that uh, that is obviously not 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 correct, and also the fact that the, he didn't do any counselling, but he's just wanting money. That that is uh, from a procedural point of view, there's a big flaw in that. Uh, normally, at any judiciary, the the first point of contact with a person that has a problem with his wife, right, or that comes and lays in a complaint, the very first step of that procedure is to have both parties in and to counsel them, to actually listen to them, to hear what is the problem. We, we, imams and, and imams and shuyukh are not there to just separate people. We are actually always there to, and we should always be there to reconcile between people. Mm. That is what we should try. It's never a matter of just if somebody gives wants to give a talaq and the imam just says, okay, you want the talaq, I'll, I'll, I'll arrange it for you, just pay me for it. I mean, our deen is not that, uh, uh, you know, uh, ridiculous where you can just pay a sum of money and your marriage can just dissolve like that. Yeah. So from a procedural point of view, they should absolutely, definitely must be counseling before any steps are taken. Mm. Now, mentioning that you revoked your talaq uh, and it was in the idda period, automatically, if you revoke that talaq, it means that you and your wife is still married. No one else can tell you anything to say that you, she must carry on with the idda and just ignore what you have said and so on. Nobody's got the right to do that mm. because the, the, the haq of raja'ah, the haq of revoking is the right of the husband. If he mm. feels he wants to do that and it's going to save his marriage perhaps, he's got the right to do that. No imam or sheikh can tell him, no, you don't have the right to do that. Okay? Allah says in the Quran, بِرَدِّهِن In Surah Al-Baqarah, and their spouses, their husbands have the most right to take them back mm. than anyone else. And no one else can interfere in this particular case. So when you revoke the talaq during the idda period, it means that the idda comes to a standstill, right? There's no longer idda for her, and the two of you are back together as husband and wife, okay? Uh, but in this case, obviously, she's not living with you. Yeah. So technically, she's not living with you, but she is still your wife at that point in time. So what you should be trying to do now is, you need to, I think, uh, figure out 
Why is it that she doesn't want to come back? You know, is there perhaps outside influence that is influencing her? Right. She's maybe staying with her parents, and that is often the case. Maybe the parents are influencing her to say, "Don't go back to him. You know, he's not uh, good for you, or it's it's not going to work, etc." So there may be some other influences, other pressures, family pressures that are coming up from her side, which you need to investigate. And I'll give the same advice that I've give early, give, given earlier on. You should get maybe a a neutral third party to actually intervene and to go to them and to say look this this poor man he loves his wife mm. and perhaps he gave a talaq and he regrets it and so on he didn't want to take that step but he wants to make up with him mm. and it is our duty to see what we can do to make up and to help them make up and here for parents i want to say please don't you know stand in the way of the marriage of your children and their spouses don't you be the cause that uh, the children are going to live with out either one of the parents you know mm. don't you be the cause of that if you can see that there is room for reconciliation then try your best to see that they can reconcile after all nikah is a a, a sacred contract mm. it's a sacred agreement between yourselves and allah it's not something that must just be thrown by the wayside if problems comes up we should try our best to to make things work so i think that is what you should do and and yes maybe you don't understand fully why is it that she's uh, so much opposed to coming back maybe you should investigate and ask this mediator to actually ascertain you know what is the reason that she doesn't want to do this and come back to me is there maybe things in the past that i did which i don't know of that she's unhappy of is there maybe other things where i sh- mm. have fallen short i know that you say that you give nafaka you give all of that but remember it's not all about just giving monetary things mm. you know mm. marriage is more than that sometimes mm. you may be paying all the bills but if you are someone that don't give the necessary respect to your wife or you don't give the necessary uh, attention or the necessary time to your wife then uh, no matter if you are paying all the bills that will not cut it that will not be enough for a marriage to be sustainable a marriage can only be sustainable if all the agreement uh, ingredients are there and one of the agreements is uh, ingredients is certainly the the monetary part of things that must be done but that is not enough mm. you cannot just pay the bills you must act as a husband you must obviously love with her as a husband you must be able to give her the love that she uh, that she deserves uh, give her the attention that she deserves there must be some understanding and mutual uh, working together in the house etc and i'm not saying you not doing this i'm mm. just reminding generally to say that it's not about just paying the bills mm. okay so i think you should then ask the mediator to find out what exactly it is that she does not like or that she does that it's making her so hard not to come back to you and perhaps if you understand the reasons maybe you can make it right and then hopefully things will go better for you in the future and uh, as far as the judiciary is concerned if 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 uh, you know she doesn't want to pitch up there like i say you try another avenue mm-hmm. she's not going to come to a judiciary send somebody to her then and somebody that she trusts and somebody that her family is close to that they have respect for mm-hmm. send such a person to them then hopefully she she will see the light and hopefully come to some understanding at least to uh, see a way of reconciling and making up in this particular marriage Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. You're listening to Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Now, of course, we are in the questions, uh, the questions and answer program on the Voice of the Cape. You're welcome to send those questions to 47913, and uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wuss will be answering them for you in subsequent shows, inshallah. The next question received, I recently read in a booklet that the Prophet ﷺ did jam salah without being on a journey, neither it being inclement weather. He recommends a person that works should rather do jam salah than doing qada salah is this permissible shaykh 
Yeah, our first point of reference always when looking at religious issues is to look at the Qur'an. The Qur'an is our primary source of information. And when we turn the Qur- to the Qur'an, we will find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us in Surah An-Nisa, verse 103, Certainly the salah has been uh, prescribed upon the believers at fixed times, mm. at fixed times. Times. And this is our point of reference and our point of departure. That salah is very specific, very specific times for each salah. Fajr, Dhuwar, Asr, Maghrib, and Isha. There's a beginning time and there's an end time. Okay? So that is the basic rule. Then we find in the Sunnah of the Prophet, وسلم, there is some uh, uh, indication that a person could possibly uh, join salahs or shorten salahs in certain circumstances. And the circumstances that are known is traveling, for example. Mm. While traveling, you can shorten prayers. Dhuwar and Asr and Aisha can be shortened from four rakahs to two rakahs. And then there are certain salahs that can be joined, like Dhuwar and Asr may be joined, uh, Maghrib and Aisha may be joined. Uh, then there are some scholars that say that this only apply when you are on Hajj, for example. It doesn't apply anywhere else. Other scholars like the Shafi'i Madhab say, no, it can apply anywhere as long as you are on traveling. Yeah. Now, clearly we see that the Madhahib Arba'a, the four Madhabs, Shafi'i, Hanafi, Maliki, and Hanbali, they all make it very clear that you cannot join two Salahs except there must be a very good reason to do so. Okay. And all the reasons, like I said, is traveling. Mm. Another reason would be if there's excessive uh, raining, etc., et and they want to make Salatul Jama'ah at the Masjid, mm. then you can make Jam Salah in certain ways, in certain conditions. Uh, then there is the, the issue of, of fear and jihad and having to go out in battle. Those are all things that we can consider as, uh, as unique circumstances that would allow you to make Jam Salah. Okay? As for the hadith that is alluded to, yes, there is a hadith that speak about the Prophet ﷺ joining salah as it is pointed out in this in this uh, particular question without there being uh, inclement weather and without there being a journey. Okay. However, we must be, must be very careful. There are there is a very intricate kind of um, uh, way in which we need to. There is a very complex structure of how the hadith appear and so on. One cannot just take one hadith. Uh, at the expense of many other ahadith and not try try to bring them all together and understand how they all fit in together etc etc uh, so this particular hadith that is in question uh, if one looks uh, in uh, for example a great book that was written by imam al-nawawi one of our great scholars uh, in islam uh, he has discussed this hadith at length and one of the things that he pointed out is that there are more than one narration of this hadith. Okay. The one narration is the way that it is pointed out here. The Prophet ﷺ joined the salah without any uh, journey and without any inclement weather. There is, however, another riwayah of this hadith that says that the Prophet ﷺ joined the two salahs without any fear and without any, uh, without any journey. Without any fear and without any journey. So now the scholars try to understand how do we bring all of this together? Does it mean that you can make salah on all these circumstances? And Imam al-Bayhaqi, rahimahullah, according to Imam al-Nawawi in this book that I've mentioned, he points out that this particular narration that says that the Prophet ﷺ joined the salah without any reason of journey and without any uh, inclement weather, he says this narration is actually one that is inconsistent with the rest of the narrations. Okay. The rest of the narrations either speak about uh, journey or about rain. Uh, they actually being rain, right? Uh, so, so he says that this particular riwayah or this narration, uh, uh, and, 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 and he actually points this out. Al-Bukhari, for example, have not considered this particular narration. 
Because according to him, it goes against the rest of the narrations. Okay. So the rest of the narration says there must be rain, there must be journey, there must be etc. It can't be without rain and without journey and without those things. Then obviously then there is no purpose in saying that Salah has sp- sp- uh, specific times. Mm. So that is how they reconciled with this. They said that this hadith in question uh, should be read in conjunction with all the other hadith that are to be found on the topic. So the riwayah that the majority has taken the four madhabs, they have taken the hadith that says that the Prophet ﷺ joined his salah uh, while there was no fear and there was no traveling. Okay. So what do they say? So if he didn't salah, make a jump salah while traveling and he didn't make a jump salah while, while there's fear, then it can only be the third option. He made salah because there was heavy rain. Okay. That is how they interpret mm-hmm. it. He made salah to jam because there was heavy rain between the, the waqs. Okay. okay, and they have taken that narration more into consideration than the other one. Mm. There are some scholars like Imam Al Ghazali, for example. He had also interpreted the hadith in a different way. He says, no, it means that sometimes the Prophet ﷺ would make the one salah at the end of its time, and he would make the following salah at the beginning of its time. Okay, and yeah. this is also what happened. So mm. let's say Zuhr. Zuhr extends from 1 o'clock, let's say, till 5 past 4. Mm. And Asr begins at 5 past 4 and it stretch, stretches till, let's say, uh, just before 7. So now the Prophet ﷺ would perform the Salah of Zuhr. He mm. would perform it at 4 o'clock, mm. which is the end of the time. time. But it's still in its time. Mm. Then he would perform Asr at 5 past 4, mm. which means he's performing Asr at the beginning of its time. So what this would appear to be, it would appear as if the Prophet is joining the two salahs. Okay. But it wasn't actually joining. Huh. It was actually showing what is the latest point that you can make the one salah and what is the earliest Least. point for making the, other the salah. following salah. Mm. Mm. And this is how he interprets this hadith that says that the Nabi Wasallam made salah without rain, without fear, without like that, but he joined the salahs. Mm. It was not really joining, but it meant the one salah was right at the end of its time and the other one was at the beginning of its time. So it, it appeared to be a joining, mm. but it was rather an explanation of the extreme times in which you can pray that particular salah. What I want to say here is that um, clearly, I mean, you cannot take the hadith literally, etc. Although I must also point out some scholars have taken this opinion and said, look, you can take the hadith literally and you can make jump salah in all circumstances and all, mm. all of that. But the majority of scholars, like I said, the four madhabs, they said, no, you have to look at the Qur'an first. The Qur'an says salah is at fixed times. And if you are going to change those times, there must be a very strong reason to do so. And of the strong reasons is traveling, heavy rain, uh, and and very difficult circumstances. So obviously work, work is not a difficult circumstance. Mm. Mm. And if we begin to open those doors to say, look, if it's for work purposes, you can make jama'ah. Then somebody will say, well, if I'm on the beach also, you know, it's difficult to make salah, so why can't I make jam there Mm. also? Mm. And somebody will say, well, if I'm sitting at the wedding, for example, it's difficult, there's no place for salah, Mm. so why can't I just make jam for that also? So it becomes like a very easy thing just to say, make jam, you know, so you know, so you're actually then changing the times of the salah for your own convenience, convenience. which mm. it should not be. It mm. is only under very, very uh, strict conditions that the salah can be taken out of its time, etc. As I've pointed out, and that hadith which is mentioned, like I said, is not the one that the majority of scholars have depended on, but they depended on the other narrations more than on this one, and that is including the four madhabs, as I've explained. Shikran so much, the uh, Sheikh. And uh, we've got two minutes, if it's possible to answer the, the question uh, in the two minutes. Um, for Is it permissible for a Muslim woman to have her feet not covered during salah and also any time outside of this yeah there is a, a difference of opinion as far as this question is concerned as well the shafi'i madhab is that a woman's entire body 
excluding her hands and her face is part of her awrah. So everything must be covered in and outside of salah except the hands and the face. This is the view of Imam Shafi'i and many other scholars. And they take into consideration the hadith by Umm Salama radiallahu anha that she came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and she asked him, O Prophet of Allah, Is it possible for a woman to pray in a garment, a top garment that covers her head and her shoulders and a, 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 top, a, 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 a garment that uh, it's not a izar. In other words, uh, it's not... Uh, a, a garment which is like a skirt but it's something that from the top it flows okay. like a dress you know yes. can she make salah in a dress like that the Prophet وسلم, said yes she can do that if it is a long garment that covers her feet okay. Prophet uh, focused on that if it is a long garment that actually covers her feet then it is no problem to make salah like that so the point here is the feet must be covered this is according to the Shafi'i school and many other ulama there is a madhab and that is the Hanafi madhab that allows for a woman to uncover her feet because they say this is a part of the body that in hot climates and stuff like that it's very difficult how do you expect a woman to cover her feet all the time you know in climates like that so the Hanafi madhab has given leeway to this okay. in the salah and outside of the salah mm. so there is no issue uh, as far as that is concerned on that particular madhab but the majority says at least in the salah it must be covered uh, you know uh, following that particular hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Shukran so much Sheikh. when we come back from the break we're going to be looking at what should the um, Muslim community uh, do approaching next year's local elections. So we'll be back after the stay tuned. Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Welcome back to the last part of questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Wuss, the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. Let's get right into it. Remember, you can SMS 47913 for any of those questions. Uh, Sheikh, can you, um, can you please shed light on how we as a Muslim community should approach next year's local elections? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, the premise of everything that we do in life should follow the verse in the Quran in Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse number two, where Allah Ta'ala says, وَتَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَىٰ Assist each other in that which will bring about righteousness and consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. So I think whatever we do, we should always try to do that which will benefit ourselves, benefit the community, benefit the Ummah, benefit Islam, and not only benefit Islam and Muslims, but benefit humanity also. Mm. So whatever decision you take in elections to positive to participate in it, not to participate in it, whatever way you want to look at it, you must always bear in mind, I do this because I want greater good for the community. Mm. You know, and whatever way you can achieve that, that is what you should do. And so I'm not prescribing any specific things and I'm certainly not going to tell you who to vote for. I mean, that is not <laughs> my job, you know, to tell you who to vote for and who not to vote for. Mm. Uh, that we leave up to the politicians to do. But what I say is that you cannot vote for people, for example, that you know do not have the community's interest at heart. Right. You cannot vote for somebody that hasn't proven to you that they can do something to uplift our societies. Mm. You cannot vote for those people mm. because you must vote for someone if you are going to vote at all. You have to vote for someone who at least is able to bring change to the community, to our society, where justice can be served, where the poor can be looked at, where uh, you know where, where unemployment can be looked at. These are things which Islam wants us to, to work towards. So whatever you are going to do in partaking or not partaking, or whatever the situation is, make sure that your your, your niyyah or your objective in mind is It is to help each other to bring about righteousness and to bring about consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. So I, I cannot get involved with part, parties, for example, that I know are going to put certain things in place that are contrary 
to what is going to be beneficial to humanity and contrary to what is beneficial to Islam and contrary to what we as human beings uh, stand for. Right? We, we can't get involved with those kinds of things because then the, the next part of the verse says, Do not assist each other in that which will lead to evil or that which will lead into enmity. So I cannot vote for someone that I know is uh, prescribed to certain ideologies and beliefs that is contrary to what humans stand for or mm. that human beings uh, see as being just and, and see, see as being uh, correct. We cannot do that. Okay, so uh, in a nutshell, I would say, you know, you and your subconscious mind and your heart that you have that Allah has given you, that should be your, your guide as to how you proceed in these matters. And it must always be uh, with the uh, objective in mind to help uh, societies, to help communities, to uplift societies, to remove all the obstacles from societies. And in whatever way you can do that, you should do that. Uh, and Allah knows best. Shukran so much, Sheikh. I'm going to combine the next two questions, Sheikh, because it's related. Um, regarding Tahajjud Salah, do you finish your Witr Salah with Ishai? And can I then still perform Tahajjud at 3 o'clock? And the other question was, can Sheikh explain the sequence of Tahajjud? When do you make your Witr? Before the Dua or after the Dua? Okay, so there's two issues uh, pertaining to the Witr Salah. Uh, can you make Witr Salah after Tahajjud? I think that was the first question. Mm -hmm. So, Sorry, can you make your, if you've made your Witr after Isha, can you then you stand up and it. make Tahajjud? Uh, of course, the recommendation always is that if a person, for example, makes his Isha and he knows with a certain amount of um, probability in his mind that he will most probably get up and make Tahajjud, even if it is maybe half an hour before Fajr, he knows that is his habit and he normally does that and he's got a strong will to do it then it's best for such a person to delay his witr salah okay. in other words not to make it after isha but to leave it until he has completed his tahajjud salah and once he's completed the tahajjud salah then to perform the witr after that Okay, that is the ideal and there's a, a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ had actually recommended this particular act where the Nabi ﷺ says مَنْ خَافَ أَلَّا يَقُومَ مِنْ آخِرِ اللَّيْلِ فَلْيُوتِرْ أَوَّلَهُ وَمَنْ طَمِعَ أَنْ يَقُومَ آخِرَهُ فَلْيُوتِرْ آخِرَ اللَّيْلِ فَإِنَّ صَلَاةَ آخِرِ اللَّيْلِ مَشْهُودَةٌ And the hadith basically says that if a person fears that he will not stand up at the end of the night to make Salatul Tahajjud, then it's best for him to make Witr at the beginning of the night, meaning okay. after Salatul Isha. But if he has a certain amount of hope that he will actually stand up for Salatul Tahajjud, then it is best for him to make the Salatul Witr at the end of the night, meaning just before Fajr. Um, and the Prophet adds to say that the Salah at that time in particular is witnessed by the angels and it's a very mubarak time that time just prior to the fajr salah on the other hand if a person mathalan uh, now he wasn't sure whether he's going to stand up or not so now what he does is he makes his isha and then he makes his witr mm. but now he happens to stand up so can he now still make tahajjud and i think this is the actual question yes nothing stops you from making tahajjud because tahajjud is not related to the fact that you made witr now now you can't make tahajjud right. no you you can still make your tahajjud salah and inshallah it will be accepted by allah it's a very mubarak time the only law now that applies is you are not allowed to repeat your witr salah because you've already done your witr after isha mm -hmm. and there's a hadith again where the prophet sallallahu says la witrani fi laylatin there can never be two witters in one night okay you know once you've done your witter it's done mm. you don't repeat it 
But to stand up for tahajjud later on after witr, no problem. You stand up, you make your salah to tahajjud, there will be no issues in that whatsoever. Yeah. As for the second question with regards to the dua, when do I make my witr salah? Before the dua or after the dua? There's no relationship between the witr and the dua. You can make it before or after, it doesn't matter. Okay, uh, And if it's the dua of the salah, for example, that you normally make after your fard salah, well, the habit is we make our fard salah, we make the dua, because remember dua immediately after the fard salah is mustajab. Mm. There's a hadith, many a hadith on this. A sahabi came and he asked the Prophet Oh Prophet Allah, which time is my dua most likely to be accepted if I make dua? And the Nabi gave two times, amongst many others, he gave two times. He says, Fi layl, In the middle of the night, and he says, Ba'da salawat al-maktubat. After the Fard Salah. So if you make your Fard Salah of Isha, it's best to first make the Dua. Whatever Dua by yourself or in group, in congregation or individually, doesn't matter. But you make Dua after Fard Salah because Dua is Mustajab. Mm. And once you're done with that Dua, then you make your Witr Salah. Okay, and let's say you first want to make your witr salah and then make the dua, also no problem. There is no real issues and relationship between duas and witr and so on. No no question at all uh, in the permissibility of all of those methods, inshallah. Shukran so much, Sheikh. I think that brings us to the conclusion of today's program. Uh, that is questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim was the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. A reminder that these uh, programs are uploaded to Iono, so you can go and if you've missed the show, you can go to VOCFM dot iono.fm and click on the questions and answers channel and you'll be able to download it from there inshallah Sheikh Shukran so much for your time as always um, on the Voice of the Cape and uh, when we come back in the next program inshallah we're going to be discussing um, in terms of uh, the karamats can a person visit it and can you ask for assistance inshallah so Shukran again for your time Sheikh and all the best for you Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you uh, Sister Mishka and to all our listeners inshallah until we meet again in one week's time jazakumullah khaira shikran so much and 47913 you can still send in those questions or email info at vocfm.co.za and mark it for the show inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh